0: Amen. Well, today we get started with a brand new series that uh, we are calling, what are we calling it? A new song. Look at us. New series, new song. We're going to spend 30 days in Psalm 40, and uh, we've done this before. Uh, This is our third time. Believe this, okay? So uh, sometimes I feel like I'm new here. This is our third year in a row doing a psalm together that has a 30-day devotional that goes with it. And so sometimes I feel new, and then I go, this is our third time, third year, here we go. So this is what our devotional looks like uh, this time around, Psalm 40. And uh, we want everybody to have a chance to have it. We want everybody to have it for free. And so if you go on uh, Amazon and you put in Psalm 40 devotional, this will be the first thing that comes up. And every Sunday of the series, the next five weeks, um, it will be free on Kindle. So you can read uh, digitally. You can read it on a Kindle device, on an iPad, on a phone, any smartphone. You can download the Kindle app. If you have a computer, you can read it there. Um, So you can do it that way. And just to make sure that it doesn't miss anyone, we will also put every single day, we will put the devotional on uh, our Facebook page at 6 a.m. And so if you are want to uh, just show up, wake up, and uh, do it that way, that's an easy way for you to do it there, and it's also an easy way to share it. And so we want to make sure that's available to you. The way it works is every single uh, Sunday will serve as kind of day one of the week, and then the devotional has six more days um, to take care of Monday through Saturday for that week. And then we'll pick back up with week two on Sunday, and then we'll start the devotional again Monday through Saturday. And so our hope and our prayer is that over 30 days— uh, we will all kind of soak deeply in what the psalm has for us. And as we've experienced this before, it usually has something different for everyone. And yet what we know about the psalms, and the reason um, that I'm particularly drawn to do this in the psalms as opposed to other books, is the psalms are really the language of prayer. And so there, there are all kinds of great places you can sit and marinate and, and find devotion. And yet uh, I think there's a double benefit because the psalms not only teach us at times, but the psalms also uh, teach us how to pray. And so in hearing the language of David and hearing the language of the psalmist, it informs our own heart and how we are to pray as well. So um, today we talk about waiting. We start uh, our series with a sermon on waiting. As the great theologian uh, Tom Petty once said, waiting is the hardest part. Okay, we'll do that one again next time. We'll see if it works. <laughs> Too early for Tom Petty jokes. Um, This has always been true in humanity. This is not uh, unique to our culture. It's not unique to uh, today in 2018. And yet, I would argue that 2018, technology has made us ever more impatient. It makes waiting harder than it's ever been. When you wanted to learn something, um, this is, okay, this is, you want to break the sermon up into parts. This is the back in my day portion. This is the part where I go back in my day. So when you wanted to learn something uh, as a child, you had to go and find either, uh, you were lucky enough in your home, you had an encyclopedia, or you had to wait and go to the library and look it up. Remember this? Or if you did have an encyclopedia like mine in my house, you never had the letter that you needed. So you're going to look up reptile, and you're like, For, I have 26 letters, there's no R. And so you had to look up in an encyclopedia. Now, what do you do? You Google it. How long does it take you to do that? Well, you have it in your phone, and so you ask, or you don't even have to look it up. That way, you can now ask your phone, hey, tell me this. Hey, Siri. And all of a sudden, you have the answer. Although it's usually wrong with Siri. But when you wanted to buy something. You had to practice this sort of delayed gratification. I know I need some shoes. I know I need a new thing for my kitchen. I know I need. I, I want to read a new book. I was doing this last night, turning through books in this season. I was kind of excited, and I, it was 10:15, and you know we'd already kind of done our bedtime routine, and, and I hear my wife sort of slowly lull off to sleep, and I thought, you know what, I need a new book though, because I always read myself to sleep. It's what I do, and. And the things I had, the three books I'm kind of in right now, I wasn't real interested in for that night. And so what did I do? I opened up my little e-reader and on my e-reader, there's a button that says store. And I took two little clicks later and I had a new book and I read the first 30 pages and I felt so great. I didn't have to wait. I didn't have to go to a bookstore or a library anywhere. I, I didn't even move. It was one finger. It already had my credit card stored in there somewhere. I don't know. I don't have to wait anymore. You just go to the internet. When you wanted to communicate with somebody, God forbid you have to actually walk and talk to them, but you you would at least have to like pick up the phone which was rooted into the wall of your home it sounds strange now our children have no idea what this is like now you pick up your phone and you text or tweet or snap or woof or whatever you do you know you do you do what you do and when you do that it's an immediate communication everything can be accessed and done in our world instantaneously I remember when I got my first job and I started getting a paycheck, I had to take it to the bank and uh, deposit my check in the bank. And I had to actually walk into a physical bank, which was like, for me, it was one of these things that really helped me feel like an adult. I'm working hard. I got this paycheck. I was making $4.75 an hour, right? Yeah. Criminal. And so you go into the bank lobby in the soaring four-story atrium, and there's a fountain in the middle, and people are wearing suits, and you had to use that little pin that's on the chain and you had to write things on a deposit slip, and you'd walk up to the teller, and they had this marble countertop, and you put your $83 check on the counter, and you're like, please put that in my account. I'm an adult now, and they'd smile at you, and thank you, sir, and they'd give you a little receipt, and you'd leave the bank through a revolving brass door, and you'd go, I'm an adult. Now, there's an app for that. And I click on the app with my thumb, and then I push my thumb against the little fingerprint reader on my phone, and it knows who I am, and I turn the phone sideways, and it pictures the check, and the check goes in my account, and I never have to do anything else, and it says, please throw your check away. Have a nice day. Oh, I don't feel so big anymore. Even Starbucks does this. Starbucks was built as a place that had, uh, it was the third place. Starbucks recognized early on their whole business model was you have your home and your office but you need a third place, that place that you unwind, the place, that kind of the, the living room outside of your living room, where you'll meet somebody, where you'll have great conversations. That's your third place. And so Starbucks originally was intended to be this third place, this kind of European coffee shop, the, the pub, but with caffeine instead of beer. And, and that's how it started. And yet over the years, as they had drive throughs and technology happens, you see less and less people that actually go to Starbucks to meet anyone, in fact, their app, you can go on their app, and with just your thumbprint, you can order your same drink that you always order, because it'll remember, and you don't have to talk to anybody, they'll have it ready for you. You walk into Starbucks, you go straight to the place where they put the drinks, you look at, you find your name on the cup, and you walk right out, and you never have to say hello. Some third place. So much so, the coffee shop is an interesting uh, exercise in this new world we live in, in this, this instantaneous world, That uh, this tweet that kind of goes around the internet from time to time. Every time I read it, I, I can't help but laugh. There's this guy in the coffee shop sitting at a table, not on his phone, not on a laptop, just drinking coffee like a psychopath. (laughs) There was a day that you went to the coffee shop to drink coffee. And this happened to me, I was in Toledo doing some work a few uh, weeks ago, and I sat at a little coffee shop downtown, and there was a guy who was just sitting there drinking coffee and staring blankly at the world. And I was a little nervous. (laughs) It's like, what do you think he's doing? So I opened up like four more laptops as like a, you know, just a defense in case he did something weird. You didn't, you never know. What's your Wi-Fi password? What? Can we talk? No, no, no. I want to talk to these digital people, not you. Instantaneous. We have all these different ways to get to what we need. And yet so much of what we uh, used to experience in the waiting has evaporated, which makes waiting today even harder. We're even more terrible at waiting than we've ever been. On to the psalm. Psalm 40, verse 1. This is the psalm of King David. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Even David, the psalmist, even the great King David had to wait. The context of this psalm is he's emerging from an unspecified danger. In other places, he talks about his enemies that have come against him. And so, sort of the assumption is this is uh, those who are looking to take him down. He's in a position of power, and so was great vulnerability in that. And so over and over again, he's being uh, attacked in various ways by his enemies. And he's left as we pick up in Psalm 40, to wait on the rescue from God. Literally, the first uh, verse here, I, w- I waited patiently for the Lord, the literal construction of that reads this way. It says, in waiting, I waited. In waiting, I waited, which is really odd for us. It's just awkward kind of like, why would you say it twice? And yet when you know the way the Hebrew works, anytime you have a, a repetitive um, word in the hebrew it's it's for emphasis it's it's no he's, he's really waiting he's not just waiting he's capital waiting with an exclamation point waiting in waiting i waited see there's two types of waiting the first type is is waiting in apprehension in anticipation this is that feeling you have that fidgety nervous feeling before a job interview or a first date where you look down and you're waiting at the coffee shop because that's where you meet people or, or you're, you're waiting in the lobby of the company that you're interviewing at and you look down and your leg is just doing that bouncing thing and you're like, oh, I didn't know I was doing that. That's, you know, ooh. Or when you're interviewing someone and you look across the table at them and under the table, you can see that their feet are bouncing and you go, oh gosh, they're nervous. Ooh. That's that nervous anticipation. That's, that's the waiting impatiently that we do. The second part is this, this way that David is waiting. The second way to wait I waited patiently. In waiting, I waited. And I, I like the, the original construction better than, than patiently, because patiently is fine, but it's incomplete. The, the phrase, in waiting, I waited, seems to imply a sort of a serenity or a, a peace. Like he could be satisfied in the waiting itself. I'm not waiting for the thing that will satisfy me. I'm, a, I'm actually able to be satisfied in the waiting itself. Imagine being in the waiting room at a doctor's office and being totally satisfied to just be there forever. (laughs) Right? No way. It reminds me of the old Seinfeld uh, bit that he would do at his comedy shows where he, he would talk about kind of our modern medical system is just sort of created to make more waiting for everyone. So you wait for an appointment, right? And then your appointment comes around and you go into the room and they slide the little glass door and you tell them you're here for your exact appointment at the exact right time and they go, that'll be so great, can you just take a seat in the waiting room? And then you wait in the waiting room for a while and after a while they call you in from the waiting room and they take you to a smaller room where you're asked to please wait. The doctor will be with you shortly. And you wait there until the doctor comes and he says what he's going to say or he tests what he's going to test and then after you leave the doctor's office you have only one more option which is to either wait on your prescription or wait for the results of your test or wait for a further diagnosis And, and the whole medical process is just waiting. And we feel that acutely in the doctor's office, don't we? Most of us are anxious in our waiting. So the two questions we're asking today is, one, what are you waiting for? Everybody is waiting for something. Some of these things are big things. Some of these things are small things. It's a job thing, a relationship thing. It's a financial thing. It's an answer to some prayer. What are you waiting for? Waiting for depression to lift. You're waiting for the next season to show up. You're waiting for this issue to to figure itself out. What are you waiting for? The second question is then: How are you waiting? If everyone is waiting for something, how are we doing it? And so we talk about waiting without anxiety. Psalm sixty-two is another psalm of King David, and here he says in verse one, he says, "Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken." How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they will intend to topple me from my lofty place. These are those enemies I was talking about. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 2013 to 2015 in my life were were pretty hard years when I look back at it. I didn't really know it at the time, and it just sort of felt like life, but it was just this season for me that the further I get from it, the clearer it becomes. 2013, uh, my little sister died. 2014, uh, our church opened a second campus but added no additional staff, and so we went from one church to two churches with the same number of people to run it, and it was exhausting in its own way. 2015 brought uh, an acute year of pastoral restlessness in me my soul was sort of grinding against the reality of my existence and really the further i get from it the more i can look back and see that there was some uh, unhealth in it i gained a stress i'd never known and i didn't realize that on some level i was having something of an identity crisis you see the church and i were intertwined it's the church I'd been at since the late 90s. It's the church that had sent me as a missionary. It's the church I had been working at. It's the church I'd been attending. It's the church i met my wife at. It's the church that baptized my family. It's the church that married me. It's the church that dedicated my children. It, it was us. We were synonymous. And so to find dissatisfaction in, in our church in this season was really hard for me because I was incapable of separating myself from that, and so I ended up finding dissatisfaction in myself. Finding myself impatient... In late 2014, I said, this needs to get fixed. We got to fix this. So I set it upon myself to fix it. I did not wait patiently. 2015 found itself to be insanely busy. Uh, We lost two of our executive staff members, which left uh, two of us to do uh, two churches. One of us was a teacher, the other was not. And so that left me to be kind of the sole voice for uh, five Sunday services spread across 15-mile gap. And so we had help and other people would do this, that, and the other, and, and it all worked out, and I found myself energized by the, the challenge of leading at that level, um, kind of at the drop of a hat. And yet, uh, I looked back at the end of 2015, the first 11 months anyway, and I realized I'd preached 63 distinct messages over the course of 48 weeks, which was something, except that it's not 63 times I preach, because when you preach three services in a, a morning, or you go and you do five for Easter, or whatever it is, it ended up being like 140 times, which is an unsustainable amount of content generation, much less um, public speaking. It was in that season that I started perusing job boards. I was like, yeah, maybe there's something else. Maybe, maybe, maybe I got to change context. I got into a seminary class that fall, of 2015, that, that God knew what I needed when I needed it. In the class, the professor, one of the things that uh, our grade was based on was a daily journal that we had to turn into him, which was a little awkward at first, but then I realized he didn't really care, and he probably didn't read it, but it just forced me to do this thing that in my busyness, I'd stopped doing. It slowed me down, and an everyday journaling reminded me of my identity in Christ. December, I was given a month off, um, Partially for good behavior, partially because uh, the church was a little bit afraid I was going to burn out and disappear. And so for all of December of 2015, I didn't have an email, I didn't have a phone call, I didn't go to church. I just, I disappeared in a good way. And the distance I got there from the church and from my job and that, that misplaced identity was one of the great blessings of my life. Around the same time Steph and I started praying, she led me in the prayer to ask God for overwhelming opportunity. Said, Lord, I don't know if that's in Texas or where that's going to be. You know, she said, maybe it's in some sort of reclaimed northern frozen swampland. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Prophetess. We started praying for this overwhelming opportunity, and it was disassociated from my previously misplaced identity. For the first time in my life, I felt this real deep peace. And really, it was that season, the first time in my life, that I really could say, in waiting, I waited. I was content to be right where I was until I wasn't supposed to be there anymore. January 2016, as the story goes, I sent one resume the reclaimed frozen swampland of the north and we start here in july and the rest is ongoing history but i realized in looking back at it so much of that season leading up to us arriving here was was an impatience that was surrendered centered on my identity So much of our impatience, of your impatience, of our inability to wait patiently for the Lord is an identity thing. It's not a patience thing. You ever go to a restaurant and you get sat at a table and someone else gets sat at the booth next to you or the table just down the way and you see them get their food first and it just bugs you? This happened to us the other day. There were two tables got their food. We ordered first. We were here first. We ordered first. Why did they get the food first? What's that about? You don't actually care whether these strangers are eating before you. You know, it doesn't matter to your life. What bothers you is it communicates something about your lack of importance. There's some sort of subtle identity thing that you go, am I, am I, I'm worthless, huh? That's what you think? Give me my food. It's a low-key identity issue. Traffic reminds us of this. Traffic reminds us how small we are. We feel stuck. It's an identity thing. We have to come to -to face-to-face with the idea that I'm not in control and, and Ultimately, I'm one of a billion people that are seemingly on the same two-lane road, going the same direction, two miles an hour, and my identity gets chipped away, not as important as I thought I was. What do we do with this? When finances stress you out and you find yourself grinding over that, when a relationship stresses you out and you find yourself feeling like your identity is being chipped away at, Psalm 62 in that scripture, what, what we read, what David says, is it is God's permanence that is our patience. God's permanence is our patience. You see, David uses Eastern language. As Westerners, we would never assign uh, like kind of concrete terms to God. We always use abstract terms. We've said this before. We, when if I ask a group of Westerners, you know, what is God? And then God is love, and God is peace, and God is hope, and God is joy. And if you ask a group of Easterners, Jewish people middle easterners say describe god what is god Well, god is eagle and god is rock and god is fortress and that makes us a little uncomfortable because it just does that's what david says david beautifully takes god out of the abstract and says no god is rock god is immovable god is a fortress god is impenetrable so david finds rest not in circumstance but in rootedness in god In reminding himself of God's permanence, he can get through his own temporary situation. He finds safety in the stronghold, not of his own ability or his wisdom, but in God alone. Growing up in Texas, we didn't have basements, and so when there was a tornado warning, when there was some issue happening with the weather, uh, where did you go in your house? In the closet with a mattress on your heads. You go to the hall closet And you put a mattress on your head or you go to the bathtub and you like you know just try to duck down in the bathtub we didn't have basements we experienced that here the first time you know first few months here there was a tornado warning and we were like it was almost sort of like guilty we were so luxurious like we have this basement we have room to walk around i look over in the corner and steph's just putting a mattress on her head anyway for fun (laughs) that part might not be true happy mother's day But every family knew where they were going. Every family knows when the tornado is coming, where do you go? For us, we would go in the hall closet under the stairs. My cousin's family, they all went to the guest bathroom in the bathtub, all eight of them. You know where you go. When the storm is on its way, where do you go? So ask the question in life as well. When the storms of life are on their way, when the storms of life have engulfed you, where do you turn? Where do you run? And the answer, I would say, reveals your place of greatest safety, or as the psalmist would say, your fortress. It's probably not glamorous, if we're honest about it. None of us are perfect in this, and so even if you would say, yeah, mostly I run to Jesus, and I'm just great at it, there's still times there, there's this other thing. We run to entertainment, to food, to drink, we run to distraction, diversion, we run to sports, or social media, or sex, we run uh, to work. plenty of places to run when the storms come and yet we all know only one thing holds back the storm there's only one place that's truly secure and so listen to jesus as he finishes the sermon on the mount matthew 7 verse 24 he's just finished this incredible sermon about all the things that that we as christ followers are to do the ways we're to behave and he says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house. It did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. He's saying when the rains of life come, when the storms of, of life come, be found in me, be found in truth, be rooted in the thing that's real and that's permanent. Where you wait reveals your foundational position. And so you have to ask yourself the question, when I am waiting, when I am impatient, when I am looking for that next thing that's coming, am I waiting rooted in the permanence of the rock or am I waiting on shifting sands that when the storm comes, uh, I'm in danger of crashing? In life, we really have two options. We can adopt the anthems of anxiety and apprehension that permeate our culture treat the symptoms, embrace distraction, or we can replace them with the song of salvation. We adopt the anthems of anxiety that permeate our culture, or we replace them with the song of salvation. Easy to say that. What does it mean? Back to your identity, your foundational position. Where is your identity? Coach, business person, doctor, professional, husband, mom, wife, dad, influencer, trendsetter, artist, preacher? See, my story was I had to recognize that my identity had become um, unhealthfully intertwined with my vocation. And with it, my peace and my hope and my joy, and more than I want to admit, my meaning, had become caught up in what I do, not who I am. So my role as a pastor of Grace Point Church in San Antonio, Texas, left me on sand that when the storms came... And that whole thing wobbled, I wobbled with it to a great degree. My job was the song of my salvation. And so when storms hit, I was shaken. The beauty of it, of a sovereign God, is God used that um, in my life to dislodge me from a place that I couldn't have imagined leaving and to bring me to a place where I never would have dreamed existed. God uses even our, our weakness, even our disobedience, even our, our tough seasons, even the times when we look back and go, man, I can't believe I've been doing that for this long. God used that. God took that in me and dislodged me from a place I couldn't have imagined ever leaving. And only in having that undone did I find my identity in Christ again, and did my soul again find true rest. The contentment of in waiting, I waited. Now I, I can, with honesty, say all pastors are interim pastors. Which is a strange thing to say. Eugene Peterson said it first. First. That all pastors are interim pastors. Meaning that there's someone that's going to come after me. And there's someone that's going to come after them. And someone that's going to come after them. And so this is not the place to root myself in permanence. This is the place for me to give and love and serve. And if God should come and say 50 years from now that I'm no longer welcome here, then we'll have prepared it well for whoever is next. But I'm interim. I cannot build the song of my salvation on you or on this church or on this job or on this city or on this reclaimed, frozen swampland because none of that stuff is permanent. And no one would say that it isn't valuable or meaningful. It just isn't my rock. I'm a child of God. That no matter my circumstance or situation, my identity is unchanging because my identity is built on something that never moves. So if you're waiting on your next promotion to make you feel significant or to give your life meaning, if you're waiting on true love or the perfect partner to inject hope or purpose into your days, if you are waiting for better health or greater wealth to prove your value to the world out there, reality is the song of salvation reveals your identity. And every identity other than child of God is temporary. All of it is building house and shifting sands. Big promotion is temporary. That great vacation you've been waiting for is temporary. The health that you're counting on is temporary. The wealth that you're building up is temporary. The relationships you are in are temporary. And if any of those places are our fortress, then we will find ourselves crashed on the rocks. Child of God is permanent. Because he is immovable, we are secure. Because he is unchangeable, We are safe because he is God. We can rest in the fact that we are not. We don't need to be. So the question is, what is the song of your salvation? Where do you run in times of trouble? Where do you turn when waiting is all that's left for you to do? My prayer is that today might be the day that each of us would be able to admit that on some level our hope is in something less than Christ. And then to reinstall Christ as the rock of our lives. For each of us to reassert our identity as children of God first and everything else second. David says in verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth. Not a song of fear or insecurity or longing or want. He put a new song into my mouth. So for the next five weeks, we're going to sing that song and mine that song and figure out what that song really is. And it starts this week as we replace the anthem of apprehension and anxiety of our culture with the true song of our salvation. And so our prayer is that we might rest and wait on nothing less than God as our rock and our cornerstone and our salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, my confession, maybe our confession, is that on our best days, we do pretty well to rely on you alone, and yet we don't have our best days every day. And maybe our not-so-best days are here and there, or maybe it's a season, or maybe it's all we've known. Father, we would confess that uh, we rely on lesser things for hope and joy. We rely on lesser things to give our lives meaning or purpose. We rely on, on lesser things. And then, Father, uh, I would admit to being surprised still when those lesser things let me down in the storm. So, God, our prayer as a people is that you would find us rooted on the rock, that you would find us built into you and not into anything less. God, you would remind us that you are everything we need and that we in you we're secure. So that we can wait patiently, so in waiting we can wait contently. Knowing that if all we do for the rest of this life is to wait for that next thing that we think you have promised, that in your presence waiting is enough. Where you've made us whole, where you've saved us from ourselves, and you've called us your children. God, remind us that that is more than enough. Father, we're thankful for your presence in this place, for your word that teaches, and God, for a community that we can wait with, we can walk with, we can journey with, we can cry with. Father, I pray that you would draw us to unity, you would draw us closer. Remind us of who we are in you, in Jesus' name, amen.